millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. If someone asked you about your longest day, what would you say? The Longest Day is a concise crisis podcast hosted by Broadstairs Consulting. Joined founder, CEO, Leah Brown. FRSA, don't you know, as you unearth valuable leadership insights from fantastic guests that will help you prepare for your own longest day. Season one of The Longest Day is available now. Tune in from the 11th of September for season two. Hi, hello, and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is a special edition of Mid Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. Today, we delve into the temperature around race, immigration, and hate in the US and the UK. I'm your host, Royful Brown, and today I have gathered for you a panel of experts to shed a light on the recent racially motivated attack in Florida and how that juxtaposes with far-right extremism within the United States. Joining me are Logan Phillips, a political pollster in D.C., Denise Hamilton, a professional speaker and thought leader whose book, Indivisible, is available for pre-order. And she's in, not Houston today, but in Montego Bay, Jamaica. Doug Levy, a freelance writer and communication strategy expert in San Francisco. And, and bringing up the rear, we have our good friend, Corey, who's over there in Manchester in the UK, is somewhat of a political pundit. Uh, the shocking events that transpired in Florida this week have not only shaken communities, but have also ignited a conversation around the persistence of hate-fueled ideologies and their impact on society. The racially motivated shooting in Florida resulted in the deaths of three individuals carried out by a white 24-year-old male. The Diary of a Madman. That's how the Jacksonville Sheriff describes a manifest left behind by the man who shot and killed three people inside a Jacksonville, Florida Dollar General over the weekend. In that manifesto, 21-year-old Ryan Palmiter wrote of hating black people. Surveillance video shows him walking into the Dollar General after he shot and killed 52-year-old Angela Carr, who was sitting outside her car. He then killed 19-year-old Anult Joseph Laguerre and 29-year-old Gerald Deshaun Gallion before killing himself. He was just completely irrational, um, but with his irrational, irrational thoughts, he knew what he was doing. The suspect was armed with a handgun and an AR-15 that was painted with swastikas. Police say he purchased those firearms legally and had no criminal record, but he had been involuntarily committed for a mental health crisis back in 2017. The Justice Department is investigating the incident as a hate crime and an act of racially motivated political extremism. Let's just go back and look at some previous hate-motivated mass shootings in the U.S. We had the Pulse nightclub shooting in 2016 in Orlando. 
the Tree of Life synagogue shooting in 2018 in Pittsburgh, which killed 11. We have the Topps supermarket shooting just last year in Buffalo, where an 18-year-old killed 10 black people. We have the Mother Emanuel Church shooting in 2015 in Charleston. We have the Day Spa shootings in 2021 in Atlanta. And this is just the quickest and the most cursory of searches on Google. Who should I come to first? Denise, why in 2023 are black people, are visible minorities, Jews, gays, etc., the target of race-filled crimes which end with their murder in the United States? We always talk about the fact that we have not dealt with America's original sin, right? We have glossed over rather than repair. And you and I both know if you have mold, you can't paint over it. You have to remove it. You have to clean it. You have to address it. And when you refuse to address it, you don't allow the healing that is required to move forward to be a truly united states of America. Um, And I think that's what we're seeing over and over again. The particular irony that in a state that is refusing to teach Black history or I'll strike that, American history accurately to still have issues like this that are happening. And he's DeSantis, our least favorite governor in the world, allowing free reign of guns, unlicensed, unrestricted, unrestricted. It's just all part of the same broken construct. The idea that we do not have to address white supremacy directly to its face, with an assertive confidence. We just have never done that. And so we turn our heads, we look away. I have to believe that this this young man had many friends, his family members, people in his universe that knew that he had these beliefs. And we simply do not have a mechanism to address those beliefs because we're not ready to put these white people in jail. We're not ready to address this behavior prophylactically. We're not ready to do it. Denise, I'm going to go so far as to say that this person didn't have a whole load of friends. I think there is something about isolation and masculinity which pushes lots of men to try and find community. And some of them find community in extremism. But hold that thought. Logan, why don't you give us some facts and figures about how America views itself when it comes to the issue of racism Yeah, I I would say that Americans' view of racism has changed dramatically, especially specifically white Americans and Latino Americans in the last 15 or so years. If you go back to 2009, white Americans specifically were split right down the middle whenever blacks face widespread racism, 49, 48%. Now, not surprising to anyone, black Americans are not split on that, right? Because they're on the receiving end. You haven't seen much of a shift there. But we've seen a huge shift of white Americans. It's now 64% say it. 35% 35% say there isn't much. And this has been happening in different cascades of waves from the shootings by police officers of unarmed men to especially the George Floyd shooting in the mass protests across the country. I think there's something to be said that there's a similar moment that we went through to the civil rights movement where when people were forced to look at things that were happening due to the march across the Selma Bridge, it did help galvanize action. There's going to be layers to this. You have white Americans who might support racist policies in some situations and anti-racist in others. The importance of the issue today is less than it was in 2020. And having one hearts and minds went over is different than having action. But there's some opportunities for action, I think, more than there was before. Um, now that especially on the left and especially among millennials and Gen Z voters who are white, there's like a rising anti-racist coalition that expects more in the blue states. Now, we're seeing the opposite on the right where a majority of white Republicans think that white people face more discrimination than black people. And you're seeing huge movements on their part in red states to teach less about history, especially black American history. So moving forward on this is far from uh, uniform. Some groups, the groups who don't, you know, maybe a little more pro-racism are a little stronger in those views than they used to be. Uh, Logan, what, one more question for you before, before I, I move on. Um, do Americans equate far-right extremism and left in equal measure? Well, I mean, polling around that? It's really hard to find polling on our questions for some reason, but even before January 6th and 
more of these white supremacist shootings, although you already had Dylan Roof by then. This back in 2000, you still saw a pretty significant and uh, higher percent. I think it was, let me do the math real quick, 52% said they were very or somewhat concerned uh, about terrorism coming from right-wing extremists, whereas about 50% from left-wing. So it's equated to a degree, but there's still some awareness that there's a bigger problem coming on the right. Z, you work in politics and messaging 24-7. Explain for people maybe outside of the United States how some Republicans, let's say populist Republicans, Trump, DeSantos, etc., give a nod and a wink to far-right extremism. Yeah, a lot of it, honestly, is subliminal messaging, right? It, it's really spoken through their policies. In terms of how they do that, as I said, I think it's very subliminal, but the way that Trump talks to crowds makes it very obvious that subliminal messaging is there. And I don't know if there's any polling on this, but I think it'd be really interesting to look at, I don't know, Logan, if you know anything about this, but to look at the rise of these racist shootings since Trump was elected. And if there's been a significant rise since 2015, I think that would be really interesting to look at. I'm sure anecdotally, at least, it looks like there has been a significant increase. But I think that now we have these MAGA Republicans that have made it okay to be openly racist in America. I think that there was a time there in the early 2000s, of course, this was before I worked in politics. I was only 10, not to age myself. Uh, but I know that there was a time that that it wasn't as okay to be openly racist. I would just be curious about that. Yeah, I can answer that, actually. So there is a link. I think the cause, though, might be similar for both reasons. Trump's probably a bit of a part of it. If you're someone that's white supremacist, America's about to become majority-minority. And so for them, that's probably their worst nightmare happening, and especially if they view America as a white Christian nation. And so when we see terrorism become a real threat of any kind, it's when you have groups, especially radical groups, that cannot achieve their goals through peaceful means, and violence is their only option. America is going to become majority-minority, and I think that's why some of them may have to do, with, especially in the primary, some of Trump's support. But I also think that's driving these attacks. They're trying to start a race war and get white Americans to join them and, and kill non-white people for a lot of them when you look at the things they write about why they're doing this. And, yeah. and I can quickly jump in. And I think there was back in 2017, I actually saw this, that the FBI said, bear in mind this is a few years ago, but there actually had been a 17% uh, increase in racially motivated attacks. So that is the year, no, 2018, looking at 2017. So that's the year that Trump then became president. So there has been a noticeable jump. And that's from, from the FBI. So I, I want to speak to a person of color specifically about DeSantos because uh, uh, Denise did mention um, the denial of bits of American history. So I'm going to ask you this, Leah. Because the last time I checked, you had two passports. You qualify as our American. Good, great. That's just showing off. Ron DeSantos, the governor of Florida, who's also running to be the Republican presidential nominee, went back to Florida to the vigil outside of the shooting in Jacksonville. And this was his response. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is here. Governor, he will come down and turn Governor Ron DeSantis was booed when trying to speak at a vigil for the victims and a Florida state representative, one Angie Nixon, blamed him for the violence, saying that he has blood on his hands. Leah, Denise did mention this, but could you go into more detail as to one of the reasons why African-Americans, they believe that he has it in for them, specifically in the state of Florida? Legislation that white kids feel uncomfortable around slavery and that some of the issues around slavery weren't so bad because the slaves actually got some skills. It's so offensive to the community. It 
almost doesn't bear repeating. It is like we're in some kind of alternative universe where history is repeating itself and we're on the wrong side of the table again. I'm not sure I am able to articulate much more of the sentiment that comes from that legislation. But I think the primary issue is that in all of these conversations is that the community is not being seen. Their opinions, their history, their voice, their experience, the discrimination that they're facing, as visible as it is to people who are in the community and probably every other ethnic minority uh, that is non-white, it is obvious what the experience is of the African-American. And yet the the media and politicians, uh, basically to buy votes, are willing to sidestep those realities for their own expediency. And to be honest, it's not that different from what we're seeing on this side of the pond. Doug, DeSantis and the GOP have most definitely fostered an environment where violent and racist acts and terror are at least possible uh, because of their kind of knowing collusion with some far-right elements. And DeSantos isn't exactly unique in this. Trump did it specifically saying there were good and bad on both sides um, of the Charlton disturbance, rally and then disturbance, etc. Why do some Republican politicians feel that they really can get in bed with this right-wing divisive rhetoric. And just to bring this back to DeSantis, I'm not exactly asking the same question that I asked uh, Z. There was um, a rally in Florida where people were waving neo-Nazi banners next to DeSantis banners, and he didn't outrightly move himself away from them. Why would a politician who's running to be the president of the United States say that he doesn't want support from Nazis? I'm going to differ slightly from what Denise had said earlier, because I don't think the issue is that we've failed to address the white supremacists. I think the issue is almost the opposite, where certainly a large number of the GOP politicians and many of the rank and file members of the Republican Party are now feeling exactly what, what Leah had said, where it's okay to be racist now. And in fact, we have Donald Trump running with a commanding double-digit lead. He's got more than he's polling at more than twice the number of uh, supporters as anybody else in the GOP contenders right now. And he kicked off his campaign on the anniversary of a white nationalist event. They're not even giving the messages subliminally anymore. They're being overt. And it's working, which is really discouraging to those of us that believe in equality and justice. But it's working. And that's why the Trump wannabes are emulating him. Denise, in the last 10 years, we've seen a, the, the Sikh community has had a terrorist attack perpetrated against them. We've had the Charleston church shooting with Dylan Roof. We've had uh, a synagogue attack in Philadelphia. And in Colorado, we've seen the gay community targeted in a nightclub shooting. This is all while many Republican politicians are trying to outdo each other by saying how anti-woke they are. These two things are inextricably linked, aren't they? By saying that we don't need to be careful of how we speak and how we act around minorities, we can demonize them, and then these shootings. Absolutely. There's an African-American expression called, don't play in my face. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing people play in our faces. We know that this language of Florida is where woke goes to die, right? Like, do you think that people do not connect and do not um, extrapolate loose gun laws with this rhetoric against any type of um, diversity, any kind of difference. Like, it, it just seems obvious to me that these are the eventual occurrences that are going to happen. And we don't really have a mechanism to stop them. We fight against red flag laws. In this case, this young man had multiple psychiatric issues, run-ins with the law, how does he have a military-grade weapon? How does he have multiple weapons? It's because we're not committed to stopping it. Because as a country, 
the structure of the country. We are not sufficiently afraid of white supremacy. We, we're playing with it. We're toying with it. We tinker around the edges. We link it to mental health issues. We link it to loneliness or some of these other issues. And white supremacy is white supremacy. And until we deal with that, we can't deal with any of the other things. I just want to end by reading something which I found online, which on the one part goes to the heart of really what we're talking about here, which is the senseless murder of people of color. But that maybe there can be some level of an upside. And this is the paragraph which I found. On June 17th, 2015, a young white man walked into a Bible study class at the Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Minutes later, he opened fire with a semi-automatic weapon and killed nine worshippers. According to Felicia Sanders, who survived but lost her son in the massacre, the gunman proclaimed that his victims were raping our women and taking over the country. In the aftermath of the atrocity, revelations about the gunman's white supremacist views and photographs of him posing with the Confederate flag generated a requisite atmosphere of liberal nationalist condemnation, which quickly led to a Southern penance. A few weeks later, the governor of South Carolina gave the order to do what seemed previously unthinkable to many. He removed the Confederate flag from the state house grounds. That did happen. That absolutely did happen. Many state houses have removed not only the Confederate flag, but have taken down Confederate statues. Logan. The sad and tough part in America is the change here never comes easy. Change in racial progress in particular never comes easy. And I think all of the Douglas and Brofog politics and the actual physical violence is a reaction to a massive shift happening in how America sees itself, how young Americans see themselves and the demographics of this country changing. It is people who can't handle the fact they're becoming majority minority. And then you see a lot of young Americans, and I think we're seeing a broader anti-racist white coalition that views this war as we're all in this together. You started seeing in polling that millennials and Gen Z, all of a sudden when they were asked open question, what do you think are core American values? They started saying diversity. We taught about this all the time in our schools, but we never really, I don't know if Americans ever fully bought the whole Statue of Liberty as the core identity, but younger Americans, yeah, we, we were starting to feel that way. And when you looked at the mass protests after George Floyd stuff, in big contrast from the great civil rights protests, that was a diverse crowd out there and it was happening in every part of the country. And so I think the future for America and finally becoming a more anti-racist country that lives up to some of the ideals we put in our founding documents is a lot better than the present because I think it, this is where we're going to head. And when you have enough people feel that way, democracy is going to reflect that. But the progress in the meantime, we have entrenched people in power who don't like it. You have, as it always is with every moment of racial progress, a huge backlash trying to push against it. And you have the hate and terrorism plus the spread of guns. It's going to be a rocky decade or two for us, but I think that there's hope for a better future in America here. Denise? Yeah, so well said. I couldn't have said it better myself. And I think that that rockiness, we need to be really sensitive to it. People are scared when you feel like you can't go to church, you can't go to the supermarket, you can't go to an amusement park. Literally, that it's the kind of surprise cannibal-like nature of racism that you could just be going about your normal life and be victimized in this way, not because of anything you did, not because you have a relationship with this person and you had some kind of disagreement, but just because you're you. This is akin to the terror that the KKK did. The KKK didn't do it to randomly kill Black people. They killed it to terrorize you into changing your behavior, into standing down from progress, into stepping back instead of stepping forward. And I think the words that I want to leave with anyone who's listening, who is feeling vulnerable, is feeling unsafe, is we have to be sure that we don't allow them to make us change our force, our direction, our commitment to creating the kind of America that we all deserve. Amen. Let's quickly move on to the United Kingdom. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Kingdom. Corey, this is your time, sir. Leah, on your marks. I apologise for the error. I took responsibility, Madam Deputy Speaker, and I resigned for the error. But let's be clear about what's really going on here, Madam Deputy Speaker. The British people deserve to know which party is serious about stopping the invasion on our southern coast and which party is not. Some 40,000 people have arrived on the south coast this year alone, many of them facilitated by criminal gangs some of them actual members of criminal gangs. So let's stop pretending that they are all refugees in distress. The whole country knows that that is not true. And it's only the honourable members opposite who pretend otherwise. Madam Deputy Speaker, we need to be straight with the public. The system is broken. Illegal. Illegal migration is out of control and too many people are more interested in playing political parlour games, covering up the truth, than solving the problem. I, Madam Deputy Speaker, am utterly serious about ending the scourge of illegal migration. The discussion surrounding immigration has perpetually remained a contentious issue within the realm of British politics since 1948. Prominent members of the Conservative Party, such as Enoch Powell, have often used the issue to rally the faithful whilst nodding and winking to the bigotry of fringe far-right parties. What makes this phenomenon even more complex today is the involvement of non-white Tory politicians who at times contribute some of their most vitriolic rhetoric around this issue. This highlights a quandary. Why is it that Tory politicians of ethnic minority backgrounds have on occasion echoed far-right rhetoric that many deem to be racist? What's your hot take? Why is it that uh, Suella Braverman et al. is using words like invasion, swamped, etc., which is all coded, not even so heavily coded, but the language of the far-right parties which would out and out call themselves racist. Corey Bernard, what says you, sir? Because it's easy and because they know that it's cheap politics, isn't it? It's easy. I think there's different reasons. And, and I, I sometimes hesitate because you can't get in people's minds. And I, I, I just as my personal sort of take on things, I, I do hesitate to make judgment on things that I can't see. But look, it's easy. That's obvious. It's easy to whip up a minority of people. Corey, go one second. Surely, I think it's quite stark, the rhetoric of Braverman, Patel, um, Sunak to a lesser degree, etc. These are all people who, if not direct immigrants, are the sons and daughters of immigrants, and they seem to take the most strident stance against... I'm not sure I agree with that insofar as... I'm not sure I agree that other politicians who are not children of immigrants 
sorry, let me rephrase that. Other people on their own side who are also not children of immigrants, I'm not convinced that they don't hold those same opinions. Rather, whether because it's a separate question of whether they actually whether Swell Graven actually believes this stuff or whether she's just doing it to play to the gallery. So either way, it doesn't matter. But what I guess what I'm saying is I, I'm not convinced that they're unique. I'm not convinced that Preet Patel, Swallow Graven, Kevin Radnock are unique in the Tory party or are unique on that part of the Tory party in expressing in saying in thinking these things. I think they might be unique in expressing them, but I don't think they're unique in thinking them or unique in willing to use them if they could, if that makes sense. It's an opinion. It's an opinion. Leah, these MPs, are they some kind of post-racial gatekeepers? Are they promoting an agenda that divides immigrants into thus and them? Is it a case of they were the successful immigrants, so they're pitting themselves as the successful minorities who emphasise their Britishness as opposed to these new illegal immigrants who are most obviously up to no good. The is as plain as day. I think building on what Corey said, I'm not even sure that they see themselves as immigrants. I think that they are fully acclimatised through the British education system and therefore they do not see a disconnect or any kind of hypocrisy in the stance that they are perpetuating for the benefit of their respective parties on matters relating to not seeing migrants or immigrant people and seeing them as a threat to all those who are invading us and, and, and whatnot. In terms of it being post-racial, I think there's also a distinction to be made between the use of, let's say, the Tory party in their faces, propagating a particular message, and their freedom of choice to say what they are choosing to say day in, day out. And I think part of the issue here goes back to security of tenure. This is all about how do I make a name for myself? How do I make it clear what I stand for? How do I align myself in the part of the party that I think the future is safe? And general election aside, I think the Tory party is incredibly fractured, particularly at present. And people are very clear as to where in those different categories they sit as MPs. And I think the particular danger is there is a lot of following for the rhetoric that is being perpetuated. And the only place that is standing out expressly against it are the international second generation, first generation immigrants who have made Britain their home and are continuing to question why. Yes, to follow on from what Leah was saying about tenure, and I guess personal tenure as opposed to putting general election aside. I think it's a classic case of that, and this doesn't require any speculation at all, it's just plain as day, is the reason why Swana Braverman is the Home Secretary. She's the Home Secretary because Rishi Sunak felt he needed to shore up that side of the Conservative Party. Because in no other universe, in no other government, in no other parliament ever, would she have been made Home Secretary literally days after she was sacked for being Home Secretary for leaking highly confidential documents, what, a week earlier? So... It's so obvious why she was made Home Secretary again, because, as I said, in no other parliament ever would she ever have been rehabilitated that quickly. The only reason she was because he needed to shore up that side of the party. She, for some reason, whether she believes these things or not, that's irrelevant. She is a standard bearer for that very virulently anti-immigrant or anti-asylum seeker section of the party. He felt he needed them. Ergo, she's Home Secretary. She's back in the job. And I think that speaks directly to tenure. Corey, you are the first person that's ever used the word ergo on this podcast. And for that, I applaud you. There's probably a sound effect going off now on the edit. Well done. Last year, 1.2 million people landed on British shores. And that's the latest estimate from the Office of National Statistics, which basically said that 557,000 people left, which left us with a net migration figure uh, just over 600,000. Leah, that is a lot of people, isn't it? It's a lot of people. We were sold a bill of uh, rotten goods around Brexit, saying that Brexit was going to mean that we had less migrants racking up on our shores. This is a massive issue. We're only a country of, what, 67 million, 1.2 in a year. That's a rather large percentage. The Tories are only grasping the nettle. They're only doing what needs to be done. We need to talk about this issue. We need to defend our borders. Nothing to see here. Let's move on. I think they're doing nothing. I'm somewhat encouraged that you seem to think that they're doing something. 
the reality is that we are continuing to reward failure just because we've got media headlines. Media headlines does not equate to government action or problem solving. Every day we hear about solve this problem, solve that problem, but there have been no policies to enact any kind of problem solving. And what I don't understand is, and is, is particularly difficult in a situation where you want to be excited about minority leadership, why are we rewarding failure? In any other world, in any other sector, if your performance was as bad as the track record that has been created by the people who are in frontline governmental ministry positions, you'd be out. Reshuffle or no reshuffle today, I, I really struggle with this idea that we are content with both the failure to enact suitable policies, the failure to get a grip on the issue, the failure to be able to answer key questions that fall within your line of responsibility when you are interviewed on your subject matter, and the idea that we can just be content effectively walking off the cliffs of Dover with a blindfold on us in terms of the attempt to, to address some of these ridiculous statistics that we have in terms of inflows and outflows of personnel coming to the UK. Corey, I might have asked you this question before. I really can't remember, but I find it really fascinating. One of the key differences between the US and the UK is our non-white politicians in the UK. They aren't necessarily seen as a spokesman for their minorities when they are much more in the US. When Rishi Sunak became the Prime Minister, there was a very muted hurrah look at us and the fact that not only is he brown, but also he's a Hindu, and he celebrated Diwali by putting out uh, candles outside of Number 10, the official residence. Does this actually, in a weird way, with the fact that we have a Prime Minister whose name is Rishi Sunak, it's not anglicised at all, He's not even a Christian, he's a Hindu, nobody makes, nobody really talks about that at all. And then we have these right-wing politicians who are using words like invasion and swamped about illegal immigrants. In a weird way, doesn't this show that we are much more post-racial than our American cousins? Because in lots of ways, we're saying that race doesn't really matter, regardless of who is delivering the message. I'm not convinced. I think, even though I hate simplistic meta-narratives, in this case, I'm... Oh, listen, you're on the wrong podcast if you don't like simplistic narratives, mate. <laughs> I tell you, it, it takes me hours to put together these questions and these clips, but they are fundamentally simplistic. I'm, I'm so sorry. I was, good. I was about to say, in this case, I, I do subscribe. There is, there is a simplistic awareness narrative that I often do embrace, and that's when it comes to comparing general British sensibilities with general American sensibilities. Big generalisation, I know, but American culture is a, and people and mannerisms is a lot more expressive and explicit than it is here. Stiff upper lip, don't say what you really mean, but say it, but don't say it, but say it in a way that other people know what you're saying, but don't really say it kind of thing. That's very British. Whereas Americans will just tell you as it is and let's go, let's move on. And I think that applies here in the sense that, yes, I don't think that we're post-racial, but I think as a culture, we don't say things that we all know to be true or think to be true as much as... So, so you saying that, oh, it's different in America in the sense where maybe if, if these politicians were, their equivalents over there would be seen as the faces of or the voices of of their groups. And they're not seen as that here. I'm not convinced of that. I just think it's we don't like to say things because it makes us feel uncomfortable for some reason. I, I suppose if we're looking at Senator Tim Scott in the US, he's not seen as a spokesman uh, for African-Americans or Southern African-Americans. And, and maybe what we're talking about is minority representation on the right of centre party in both countries. What they would say, and maybe this is a question for you, Z, just to bring you in on this, is that I am more than just this one label of identity. Whereas left of centre parties generally say, okay, this person is a person of colour or has a different ethnicity or, or sexuality. And that is a key part of, of their makeup. Z, did that make any level of sense? Or is this just me talking in a quite simplistic way, as Corey has uh, admonished me about? <laughs> I think it made sense. I, 
Do you mean in the sense of the first thing that comes to my mind is like when Trump uses Black folks or really anybody who's not white, essentially, to prove that he's not racist, for example, even though they clearly are racist, right? The first people that come to mind who we've actually, when I say we, my business partner, Imani, has been on their show before is Diamond and Silk, right? Diamond passed from COVID, which is not, I wouldn't say funny is that's the right word. Ironic. Yeah, Yeah. ironic is the right word, given that she was extremely anti-vaccine and actually didn't even believe that COVID existed. But she passed, so they're not as active anymore. But at least definitely during 2016 and through most of 2020, he was basically paying these two women, Black women, to go around the country and stump for him to prove that he wasn't a racist, which is also interesting because actually, historically, both of them were Democrats. So whether they believe in this or not is a, <laughs> a conversation, I think, for another day, for lack of a better word, I guess, like tokenism to to make a point of, oh, well, we can't be racist if Black people support us or Hispanic people support us, which is really, really not true. But I'm always struck by how the cabinet in the UK does feel a bit multiracial. We have the prime minister who's a Hindu. We have the home secretary. I don't know what her religion is, but she's ethnically from South Asia. We had a Chancellor of the Exchequer, which is our finance minister last year, who had African parents, etc., etc. And we don't see that level of racial inclusion on the Labour benches or the Liberal benches. And I remember back in 1987 when there was the first black MPs were elected in this phase, in the post-Second World War phase, because there were brown MPs, there were Indian MPs in the 19th century, that this is seen as a great breakthrough by the party that kind of champions itself, for the party which looks after the rights of minorities. I just think this is a, a fascinating point, and I still haven't quite made my mind up as to truly what this means. And I think it can mean two things at once, that in, in some ways... There are some elements of the, of the British political system where people truly believe we are post-racial. But then we look at the judicial system, how it more heavily weighs on people of colour. Economically, many communities of colour are, are more disadvantaged. And I think the two things can, can be true at the same time. Leah, you look deep in thought. You're pensive. I just ranted on. Frank is probably the wrong word meandered mentally for about two minutes please make sense not necessarily of what i've said but out of this whole situation leah over to you and then we'll end with somebody saying something pertinent on the nose and then we can wrap this podcast up so i was looking pensive because i was just reviewing the selection criteria for the labor party candidates and the conservative candidates and i think The posture of the Conservatives is we don't see race. And the posture of Labour is we very much do see race, but we're not going to show you the ways in which that factors into our decision making. And the reason that it's somewhat problematic is because when you're trying to change the status quo, i.e. increase representation in leadership roles, there's always going to be a party with a vested interest i.e. the people that will be ousted as a result of getting new blood in. We're not in a position in the country, as Corey was saying, where we are good at embracing difference, or where we see the value in different perspectives, particularly on the front bench. And so you can look at the front benches in Parliament at the moment and say, look, they're super diverse. But actually, in terms of what they're bringing to the table, their opinions and their education and their upbringings are not massively diverse. And, and so I think it begs a bigger question of when the decision is put back into the hands of the electorate, what is it that 2023 Britain wants in terms of the selection of its candidates, who it wants to be representing? And what does that kind of diversity and embracing that kind of diversity look like in 2023 Britain? And we don't know that because we haven't had the election. But I suppose my point of looking at the selection criteria is that if the parties aren't getting that so that the candidacies do not reflect the demographics of the various regions where representatives are being selected, then we're never going to get the representation that we need at top level in society. And so the question is, how do we make this an issue that is a great import to each of the parties 
Leah posed somewhat of a, a conundrum for us. Do we have a, a political party or do we have the, the gumption or, or the will as a nation really to look deeply at the issue of representation and, and what that means on a political level and a representation which truly does act as an avatar for those minorities of which that politician has truly come from? Only time will tell. But time is against us today. So very quickly, Leah Brown, quickly tell us where people can find you on the socials and tell us very quickly what you've been up to in the last week. Great questions. I have been working very hard with the Broadstairs Consulting Team to launch our mediation centre in Thanet. And we've been doing a lot of radio coverage and media interviews and articles to be able to offer those mediation services in Kent and further afield. I can be found on Instagram at SceneHeardSpoken and on Twitter at OnlyOneLeah. Z Cohen Sanchez, same question to you. Yeah, so we are really gearing up for 2024 and shameless plug here, but if anybody is looking for a job in politics, please email me at info at soul-strategies.com. We are hiring for a lot of positions right now. You can find us on all the socials, Soul, like the soul of your shoe, S-O-L-E, strategies, same everywhere. Doug Levy, sir, where can people find you on the socials and what have you been up to recently? I've been doing what I hope is the final edit of my updated textbook for public information officers, although I just discovered the footnote numbers are wrong, so I've got to go fix those. Fun. You can find me on occasionally. I still look at the platform we used to call Twitter. I'm at SFDoug. Um, I'm occasionally on Instagram. To confuse everybody, I'm Doug Levy NY there. And on Facebook, I am Doug Levy PR. Doug, I'm one of these kind of X refusing X. It's just Twitter. That's what it is. Just, just, just call it Twitter. We've got to show this man that he's just burnt a whole load of money and wasted a whole load of time rebranding something which didn't need to be rebranded. You can give it brand on you. Exactly. Record time. You can shift it rightwards as much as you want. It's still Twitter. Logan Phillips, sir. Now, I know for a fact you had a rather exciting conversation with somebody this week about a new departure. Maybe you want to just whet our appetite about that. Yeah, Rodefield and I are talking about uh, moving forward with the podcast. You guys will hear um, more about that soon. Gosh, what? Wow, yeah. Smashing. Uh, and then where can people find you on the socials? Loads. So I'll be at uh, LoganR2WH on Twitter. And uh, we're moving full steam ahead of my house forecast, so we'll have predictions for that soon on uh, racetothewhitehouse.com. Awesome. And Corey Bernard, you, you haven't been on for a couple of weeks, sir. It's always good to see these slightly out-of-focus shots in a dark room in Manchester. We have missed you. Okay, I say, where can people find you on the socials? And then you say... I abandoned social media for the sake of my mental health. Really, I forgot my passwords. And the 30-day deactivation time ran out on me, and so they cancelled my accounts. And I took advantage of that by staying off, basically. Oh, so if people wanted to get in contact with you, it's just not possible. I mean, I'm still on Facebook, but who uses that anymore? It's awesome. If you've got kids, right, and you want to see them graduate, and then you want to, like, put a picture somewhere. For on TikTok. For that. We're Snapchat. Snapchat. Definitely not. Why would I ever put the picture of my son graduating on Snapchat, which is just ethereal? It's gone. I want but people to know. Cool. I put in, not him, I put in blood, sweat, and tears, bringing this human being into this world, dragging him through education, and then he got a degree. That's why old folks like you and me are still on Facebook and everybody else is on Snapchat and TikTok. Well, indeed. That's true. And, and Instagram and, and all of the things. All right, there you go, folks. Uh, that, that's been the Mid-Atlantic. Yeah, that's what I've been doing this week. And for well, once, I've been doing something more than just potting around the house. I've been, I was like, yeah, because at the next three times oh. you ask me, I'll just give a boring answer. So this is the only exciting answer you'll get from this question. So, Did you sell your box or Lastra? Yes, it has a doubly exciting week then, yes. The car was sold and I spent a, a great long weekend in London at Carnival. Yeah. I haven't been to Carnival in, in quite some time. And, and Carnival, dear listener, is it, quite the thing if, you, if you've never been. Over the two days of Carnival, which is the Sunday and the Mondays of public holiday in the UK, or a bank holiday as we call it, one, two million people converge in the neighbourhood of Notting Hill, which I used to call home, and uh, dance to uh, music of Caribbean origin, soca, calypso, reggae, take centre stage, 
it is quite the sight and and I actually think it's one of, one of the best things that London has to offer. It's the biggest street festival in in all of Europe. The only festivals which are bigger are Rio and Trinidad. Such is the scale of the Notting Hill Carnival. Many a joyous time spent as a child with, with my ma and pa there all the way up to when I lived in Notting Hill. Anyway, Notting Hill Carnival, awesome thing. Behind us right now is a, a sample bit of music of Carnival. So if you weren't there, at least you can have a little flavour of this great festival. Well, that's been me, Royful Brown, with Leah, with Z with Doug, Logan, Corey and with Denise Hamilton in Jamaica. Don't forget, left to centre politics, he's right-thinking politics and I'm sure Leah and Corey in particular will agree with me from their, from their bone marrow out that neoliberalism has failed us all. And on that note, if you want to take me to task, you can send me an email at royfield at gmail.com. That's R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D at gmail.com. You can find me at Royfield at everywhere because my name's Made Up. If you have a West Indian father, you'll know about Made Up names. So I'm just Royfield everywhere. There is no underscore. There is no anything. It's just Royfield. There you go. I'm unique. You're wonderful. You'd listen to Mid-Atlantic. Ta-da. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.